Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Pretty on the fence about whether I'm going to post this. <laughs> I would uh, be pretty firmly in the camp that this may not be worthy of the internet <laughs> thus far, but we can. I think we can still salvage this thing, man, if we cut everything so far and start <laughs> now. Is Mike back? Oh, that would have A been fourth awesome. person is in the room now. Yeah, that's McConaughey. Oh, that's the silent guest. Yeah. Yep. Well, we could try it over Skype, but now we're getting to the time where we pretty much have like 20 minutes to do anything. I think we could rip one out. I have a, I have a question I've been pondering for the last day in prayer in my quarantine we could talk about. Yeah, what is it? Okay. Do you think that in heaven, or when we're experiencing heaven, do you think we'll still be curious like have the capacity to be curious. Hmm. And I say that because I found that um, I, this came up like maybe a couple months ago and it was an old memory and it just kind of came out of nowhere in prayer. And it was of a friend of mine when I was working for focus, it was a teammate and she was dating like her now husband and they were starting to date pretty seriously and talking about engagement. And she had this cool line in there one day talking about it of they were talking like one of the most exciting things for them about getting married was that after 50 years or you know whatever the lord blesses them with they would still be getting to know each other more Hmm. and finding out like things about themselves and the human person in it so a little bit abstract but like i thought a very it was still very moving at the time just of like what a cool kind of desire going into marriage you know yeah um and I've, I've used that before of, yeah, I, I actually find that very helpful in my own life, whether it's hearing confessions or just meeting people. Um, but I try to be as much as possible. Like sometimes you hit it off with people more than others and all that naturally, which is, I think, okay. But I try to be genuinely like curious about people. And I find it to be like just extraordinarily helpful of both one um being interesting for myself here we go you got me but i, I got you it... mike oh oh man i still all right mike, is okay back. we're come still back. i'm waiting on rob yeah not quite connected um i heard everything that, that rob said that mike yeah joe pub you, you got each other gotcha rob mike welcome back man man oh man all right keep going rob uh yeah sure so i mean that's pretty much you're getting the gist um of it, but I found that that's I I don't know if disarming is the right word, but I've actually just found it a cool way, um, yeah, to not like, I think inauthentically, but I think that's just a cool way to build trust with people, is like I'm yeah, there's just a curiosity, like about them, or to hear their story or whatever, whatever it is, and I was thinking like that's just it's brought a lot of life, um to to me in that and i was like well in heaven yeah like we'll have knowledge of how i understand that anyway of everyone else that's that's there but will we be able to be curious like will there 
you know, in the beatific vision, will there be discovery or surprise hmm. in it? Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's not, I don't, I don't think we're going to answer it, but I've just been, I've been thinking about it. I was like, huh, what's that going to be like? Any thoughts? Yeah. I, uh, well, the reading this morning was about the river coming out of the temple in Ezekiel. Yeah. And I was thinking and praying about that image of a river as kind of infinite and unchanging and yet a thing that changes constantly and is totally dynamic and alive. Whoa, um, Heraclitus. Yeah, and I think Easy that's a good Heraclitus. image of God because, um, well, God is, a, is, there's a dynamism in him because of the Trinity that it's a, it's an utter emptying and a filling and it's not just like he's a really big powerful being up there but is constantly pouring himself out and then being received and then and then that life being poured back from the son to the father and that that love overflowing in the third person of the holy spirit and then even the kenosis of creation this is all corbone but the pouring out of his self and his being in the world in the creation of the world and then particularly in us his divine image and then us being meant to receive that and give it back but sin uh plugging that hole up or refusing to be a receptacle because we won't give it back or we won't trust because it costs you something you have to to be filled you have to be emptied you know um and so in jesus's body on the cross that's when it's the utter utter energy of acceptance is fulfilled in humanity in humanity the divine life is able to start flowing forth and that's what happens in the church at pentecost and every celebration of the eucharist and every act of charity um so the idea of like eternity or heaven being some kind of static place i think is inimical inimical to god's nature like it has to be there has to be some change and so our right I agree. Our way of going deeper in love on a human level is that, like learning about people and knowing more and therefore loving more and loving more and therefore wanting to know more. So I don't think that there's any way where like the beatific vision is just like, oh, there it is. Now I can see like God sees and I I got it all because it's we're still going to have bodies. We're still going to have limits. We're still creatures. But we're mysteriously drawn into the divine life. But that starts even here and now, so it shouldn't be that different. It's just a higher pitch, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the resurrected body of Jesus, he still eats and he still talks in human words, but he can walk through walls and, you know, be in more than one place at once. And so there's not the same limits. So that's kind of how I think of heaven is is like this place, but just, you know totally God all in all. I told you that story once of the kid in the catechesis of the good shepherd, that Montessori CCD thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't there for it, but the teacher told the story of the kid who kept putting the water in the wine. They had like a little hands-on thing where they could, uh, practice doing that part of the mass. And they taught him this, the prayer that the priest says when he pours the water into the wine, by the mystery of this water in mind, we would come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. And he kept doing that over and over again. And the teacher was kind of worried that this kid's getting fixated on this thing and to the detriment of the other other things in the atrium that he could be exploring. And then they started talking about the parousia, 
in like one of the les- lessons and the kids were all sitting, sitting on the carpet and the teacher just goes, what do you think the parousia is going to be like the end times? Um, and they talked about God being all in all. And the kid goes, it's going to be like that little bit of water and all that wine, hmm. <laughs> which I thought was like so perfectly symbolic and sacramental and like only a kid can say and not really understand what he's saying, but it's, it's profound. Um, so I think there's curiosity. I think, I mean, maybe not on the practical level, although I do think that there's got to be some kind of God Google when you get there and be like, okay, what, what was it really like in the middle ages? Um, <laughs> you know, what did Abraham Lincoln's voice sound like? Yeah. But I just don't think that those things are, are going to be as interesting to you when you start to see the ground of all being for yeah, who maybe he that's is. It. There's, have you guys read the book, uh, Severe Mercy? I think we've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. it's great it's a great book um but i've read like a couple parts of it throughout this week on on quarantine not i haven't read it cover to cover but um but there's an interesting part in in it where he talks about this experience of him and his i don't know if they were married at the time um but in a sense his his wife um and they're out on the ocean and they have this experience of like they wake up in the middle of the night and there's something, how he describes it, like the lighting and the waves and the, what the wind is doing. I mean, he, it's incredible how he describes it, how surreal and like blissful this moment is. And it was like this experience kind of of the divine for, for him, except for he knew in the back of his head as like totally content as he was in this moment that it had to end. Um, and that's where he then talks about like, but in a higher reality that wouldn't have to end or it's just not limited by time. Um, and it's so hard to conceptualize. I, I mean, I realize that we could just keep talking around this, um, but it, it's just, it's impossible to conceptualize, but still, yeah, we just get these like these glimpses of it, man, which is pretty, it's pretty cool stuff um, to think about every once in a while. Um, but that's, I, I guess I was thinking about Merton too, of like, where was he? Like he was on a street in like Louisville. Right. And he said that like these people are shining like the sun mm. um, and they didn't realize it. And, but it's like, if we have the capacity to see and understand human beings then they are just like infinitely interesting. Um, I don't know. I just don't do that very well. I think. Yeah. Yeah, maybe two things to add, two contributions. Um, C.S. Lewis, he really shaped a lot of my imagination, especially around heaven. Um, his image in the end of the last battle, when they're running with Aslan. And farther up and farther in. Right? Farther up and farther in. Yeah. I, that has to be real and true. Mm-hmm. And like, you move faster and deeper and more discovery and more lush and yeah, like a more intimate knowledge of the thing that you're entering into. And, um, and it's ever expansive, you know, the everlasting Hills, like it's just further up and further in further deeper. Uh, so I, oh, I do think, you remember what he says after that? We, you're not, you're not yet as happy as I mean you to be. Oh mm. Yeah. Yeah, and then I mean, along with the the water river image, which is so beautiful, and it, it's fulfilled 
scripturally it's fulfilled in the book of revelation in a really, really beautiful way. Um, maybe revelation like 22, it talks about that same river and the same mm-hmm. trees that are by the river and that they bloom and their fruit is present like once a month or something like that. And, um, and, and that really is a foreshadowing of what heaven is going to be like. And notice in the book of revelation, there's no temple because Christ who fulfills the temple from the old Testament, um, his body is the new temple and all of us are incorporated into his body. And so heaven is like, we actually become a part of this river and this temple that the water flows out of. Um, it's that image has really, really stuck with me. Um, but C.S. Lewis kind of references to it. Yeah. And I don't even know what it means when he talks about it in, uh, the great divorce, but as the main character is walking deeper and deeper into this substantial um, other dimension that hurts him, but also makes him more real, um, he sees a giant waterfall that sounds like this is this clashing water. And as the waterfall f- is falling, he looks up and like at the crest of the waterfall where the water's peeking over the cliff and, and tumbling down, it looks like. Uh, like a person, a person crucified almost like arms extended and that the waterfall is like flowing out of this person. If I remember it correctly, that's at least how I, wait, what book is that? It's the great divorce. Oh, that's how I conceptualized it. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I mean, it's Jesus who is this waterfall of life. That's just like, there's this, this infinite unending pouring forth, you know, and that that's him on the cross. That's, the waterfall that that flows from from his side and from his from his sacred heart the that's the divine mercy of god it does not end which is so cool i, I love that image I, I talk about it quite a bit in confession because that, that's also like the pounding sometimes we feel god's love like this and it washes us and it purifies us and it smooths us out um and yet there's also like something really sweet and consoling about it and, and mm-hmm. something really refreshing about it but there's this power and tangibility when it comes to that um so yeah that that's those are the two images that have really stayed with me about heaven um and then the last contribution yeah is um i know a lot of psychologists a lot of counselors and i think peterson was the first that i heard talk about this um he uh, advises his clients for those who do struggle with things like anxiety or like social anxiety specifically, that when they get in social settings and they begin to become very self-conscious and begin to um, get really nervous or do have that anxiety builds up, he he actually asks them, he recommends to them, find somebody with in a social situation that, that you know that you're competent in, that you know that you can handle, and become totally fascinated in the other person Hmm. become totally curious in the other um as a type of remedy as as a type of way to to get over your anxiety uh and really what you're doing is like you're forgetting about your anxiety and the whole purpose is to forget about yourself right and and he said you know because that's what makes you anxious is when you're just being very very introspective and you think what is everybody thinking of me everybody's looking at me 
and he flips it and he says, go and find somebody. And it doesn't have to be like a big speech or doing anything like party charades. Just look at them and, and actually become very interested and curious in the other person. And when you do that and you pour into the other person, it actually frees you. It alleviates you from your own self-focus and anxiety because you're actually pouring into another, um, which I, I think is very fascinating because it's, you know, it's that, very practical advice, but it's also pretty, there's a deep truth there Yeah, that, that makes that practical advice real. Yeah. Um, the same thing when I'm tied up in knots, like one of my life hacks is, uh, like picking up garbage on the street or doing the dishes or something, uh, in the house when they're there to do like doing something concrete that's just a little bit generous and not you know just to get you out of yourself um that's another lewis one might be till we have faces or surprised by joy um lewis cast we should call this the lewis cast um where he talks about that's what that's what heaven is is to utter self-forgetfulness where now you're not thinking about how you're coming off you're not thinking about even getting what you want or what you need even though it is everything that you ever wanted and the satisfaction of every desire <clears throat> that happens because you are emptied out and you're just totally enthralled and that, that's where like you get glimpses of it you said rob in yeah. beauty goodness right. truth um and those those experiences are so precious and there are signs, signposts on the way to heaven, but you can't stay at them, which is why they always have a little tinge of sadness in them. Anytime you mm. see something, that was a hidden life, dude. I that was like so beautiful, it hurt, yeah. you know. And I felt like what it depicted was this act that was so massive. That that, that was the word that kept coming to me. Like it was just a gigantic moral feat that he did in the face of all of this doubt, even probably his own doubt. Like, is this necessary? Do I really need to do this to go to heaven? Won't God understand if I just like cross my fingers behind my back and, and swear this stupid oath, what difference is this going to make? But that he just would not violate his conscience, uh, and suffered this indignity and death. Um, I don't know, man. It was just so, it's kind of like the beginning of liturgy and personality. Baron does a foreword for this Dietrich uh, von Hildebrand book we read for our, a little book club I have. And he talked about the object, the subjectively satisfying versus the objectively good or objectively valuable. And he's like, there are certain things like truth, beauty, and goodness, like truth. Um, well, let's say take beauty, like the Sistine Chapel you know, there might be like a kind of music that you prefer or a kind of art you prefer, but nobody can look at the Sistine Chapel and say, "Yeah, that's just not for me. That's not the kind of thing that I like, you know, because it's <laughs> so objectively beautiful. Um, and same thing with something like a hidden life. This, this, uh, he used the example of Maximilian Colby, but same thing. Um, you can't like hear this story and be like, "Meh, that's, I didn't like how it ended, you know, not my kind of story. Mm -hmm. It's just so massively valuable that um you can't help but be lost in it and, and it makes you want to be generous 
and imitate it, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. And here's, yeah, I don't know if this is going to follow exactly. I don't know if we have time for this either, but what I'm thinking of with that, I like that a lot, but this weekend in the, the scriptures at mass is when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And I was reading, I did that with my holy hour this morning and it's a moving story, man, because he weeps and like he, then he speaks with power into, um, this man's like this dead man's life and he brings him back from the dead. Um, but I'm thinking of like, Mike, what was that lady's name at the Louvre? Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. Mona Lisa? Lisa. <laughs> Lisa, man. Le Louvre. Le Louvre. <laughs> yeah. Can you give us an impersonation of our, our buddy out, out in front? Yeah, please, Follow quick. me to the Louvre. <laughs> <laughs> you really got to get person? the last throttle. It, it is. Yeah. It, it, that guttural. Uh-huh. <laughs> That was one of the most amazing moments of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think we've talked about this on the cast. I'm not sure, Connor, if you know the, the story. But in a sense, Mike met this lady in front of um, a painting of Jesus raising Lazarus. And what was her line? Like, you, oh. said, something, you said something about like, I, I, don't, I don't like, yeah, I don't know no, anything about no, no, the no. art. She comes but... up to me, she comes up to me, and I'm just standing there just taking in this remarkable painting of jesus raising lazarus from the dead and she comes up and she goes um do you know anything about painting and i said no i don't know anything about painting um you've painted dude you've painted some masterworks well anything in look 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 dude (laughs) i only have a couple of works in the yeah i have one in uh dubai as well i think there's a leave out there there's a uh, is there a Louvre in every city? Like a, I, no, like a no, 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 no. There's only one with a glass pyramid over it, though. Oh, it's a diamond because oh. it goes underground too. Mm. But she, but she comes up. Yeah, so she says, "Do you know anything about painting?" And I said, "No, um, I don't know much about painting, but I'm very fascinated in the subject." And she goes, "Oh, well, I don't care anything at all about the subject. All I care about is the painting." And it was like had an aggressive tint to it. Um yeah, and that that was actually the beginning of this odd interaction. So Rob, sorry. No, no, no. That was exactly it, but it was um yeah, I don't know. I mean, how does somebody get there? Yeah, I I've thought about her from time to time like throughout the last yeah few years you know i forget Um, that you were there for that whole thing man yeah yeah um yeah i don't know so your point being that like she was taking she was taking something objectively valuable and being like no what's important about this is technique yeah maybe maybe that's close um that's close there of of what i was getting at yeah um or just yeah I feel like um, it's just very interesting of, um, yeah, like what would, that story is um, like to me just enthralling, you know, in, in so many ways. Um, but I I would feel like, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated at that of like what she was still saying. I, I mean, after three years, you know, same, of, same, like, dude. What, what are you, what are you saying? Because I actually want to know. Um, well, yeah, what's and going I don't on? know that she knew. 
like necessarily. Yep. Uh, does that make any sense, Mike? Does that help yeah. flesh it out a little bit? Yeah, one hundred percent. So, R- R- Connor, do you know the full story for this? No. Okay, so so that's how the interaction starts. And again, I, I'm just in lay clothes. I'm just a dude. I'm not even a deacon yet. This is right before I come home and I'm ordained a deacon. And just stand there in casual clothes. She comes up. We have this interaction. I mean, it was like surreal. It was something out of a movie. We're in this huge hall of one of the most beautiful buildings in France filled with the most valuable works of art maybe in the world. And we were in the medieval, like, you know, maybe up through the 1500s, like past the Reformation time period. It's all Western art, which is all Christian art. And it's profoundly beautiful. And she comes after me. We're just standing there taking in this painting next to each other for maybe a minute. And then she turns and says that line. And once I, I, you know, I kind of declare like I'm into the subject, I'm into Jesus and I enjoy painting, but I don't know anything about it. And she said, well, I'm into painting and I don't give a rip about the subject. And that starts this pretty combative interaction where she just starts to essentially assault me for my Christian beliefs and this is just right in public, and she gets more and more heated, more and more heated. She finds out I'm a, about to be ordained a deacon, and I'm going to be a priest, and that just like sets her over the edge. And Rob's standing there watching this whole interaction go down. And I, I listen for maybe ten minutes, and then I say, "You know, I'm really sorry that you feel that way." And she she mentions a number. I mean, she mentions a lot of stuff, uh, and then she leaves. And I turned around, I'm like, holy smokes, dude, what the heck just happened? And then she comes storming back. Yeah, Boom. she came back. And she is, like, she's she's really just, like, blown her, blown her lid off at this point and begins to, like, raise her voice and uh, ask me, how can you believe in something that... Uh, doesn't support like women's rights and um, it just kind of starts throwing out like a lot of stuff but there's just a lot of vitriol behind it it was very it's just very like um, very hurt yeah it was just like Mm. an oozing wound really and it was kind of a lot to take in and I actually had to stop her and say like Lisa I'm so sorry that you feel that way but I'm not like I didn't come to the Louvre to be yelled at and I'm sorry I have to ask you to leave and kind of like center on her way and uh just turned and like really had to bring it to the Lord and say like holy cow like what the heck just happened you know that wasn't intended for me that was intended for Jesus so I'm gonna just pass it all to Jesus but um when I came back from my deacon ordination I mean I preached on that it was hmm. Ascension, uh, we, well, Ascension Thursday, but it was the weekend of, of Ascension Sunday, I guess. And I talked about uh, the longing for the eternal that the human heart has. And I, I actually told that story and kind of, and Rob, maybe this helps to get to what you're talking about is a lot of the things that she spoke of was these hurts of people who had been in her life and had left her and had passed on. And she was so upset that I believed in something that allowed me to hope in the possibility of seeing them again. 
It's like, yeah, of course, everybody wants that. Everybody wishes that were true. That but everybody knows that, that it's not yeah. true. How can you believe in something so stupid and so foolish where you think you could see your dead loved ones again? Hmm. And as I'm listening to her, it's a, it's a recognition of the like the burning desire she has to see those who she loves and misses. And almost like the squelching, like I can't believe that that desire could be fulfilled. And instead of, you know, having faith to believe that, uh, like kind of being burnt by it and becoming bitter by that desire to, to be in communion with the ones that she loves and the possibility of an afterlife and a God who could love you and like all these things that you look at on, on, you know, it's the same coin and one side of the coin, it's like, look at how beautiful it is. And then you look on the burnt side of it and, uh, it's like the torment. That's the, that was her torment. Um, and so she was looking at these eternal things like these, maybe like beautiful ideals of Christianity. Um, but had experienced them in so, in such a different way. Um, that she was she was seriously hurt by it. She was oozing this like this vitriol out of her. Um Yeah, hmm. but I think the weird thing about it is we were talking about the same thing in a lot of ways. I said heaven and she said heaven and I said glory and she said stupid idiot. Like how can you believe that that's true? So we we're, we're talking about the same thing in a lot of ways. And one brought me consolation and the other brought her, like, it made her so mad um, that I could possibly even believe that that's true. So it was, yeah, I don't know if, if there's anything you want to add on that, Rob. No, no. Well, unfortunately, that's a great thing to unpack, but uh, this has got to be you a You got short a Bible one. study, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say that my first feeling about Lisa though, is that I think she's, uh, not far from the kingdom. You know, I think, I think that she, that Jesus can work with that much more than apathy. Like she named the torment. Like it was the torment, like was where he was somehow in it. Um, yeah. Say more, but real quick, say more about that. This crown. Well, she's not lukewarm, you know, there's not just You're like, right. a. well, I'm, you know, I'm a good person. I'm probably going to heaven. Like I, I don't see a lot of life in that mentality. Whereas, um, I mean, she had rejected the idea of heaven. It sounds like, but what she hadn't given up was a desire for it. And the fact that she didn't believe in it or couldn't bring herself to believe in it made her really mad because she wanted it so bad. So if something were to happen to her, that gave her that confidence that it were possible she hadn't she hadn't repressed her desire for it and she she also hadn't just like domesticated it you know it was still a very ravenous desire which i think is the christian thing is not like don't get your hopes up because life isn't that great and that'll make you happier if you just manage your expectations it's uh go headlong into death without fear because there is so much more further up and further in, you know, um, which I think who knows what her story is and what it's going to be like, who knows about any of our stories is going to be, but I just feel like 
you could work with that. I mean, you did the right thing by being like, Hey, let's move on. Uh, cause it wasn't going to happen then. And you weren't going to be the person to do it, but well, and I mean, I listened to her for a little while <laughs> and tried to, tried to be with her in it. Um, yeah. Like I literally remember praying the image in prayer after was like, hopefully what you were able to endure through it, like drew just a little bit of, it was almost like an image of poison. But like, if she was able to, to say what she said, like maybe it just kind of drew it out of her, like just a little bit. Um, and if you were able to stand there and take it, like, yeah, maybe, and, and give it to Jesus. Certainly. Yeah, that's Um, right. Send that on. But you're exactly. a sump, a sump but, for her vitriol. But maybe, a maybe it's a little bit less in her a, heart. A sump. Yeah. yeah. Draw it out. All right, guys. Sorry about this. And sorry about the technical difficulties. Yeah. No, that's me. That's me, guys. This internet cutting in and out. Get it buttoned but, up for Friday, though. Maybe hotspot it. Friday. I, I'm going to be in my rectory, so it'll be different. I'll have, hopefully, I'll have better Wi Fi. Okay. You know? Yeah. Cool. All right, yeah, guys. It, Hey, I heard the phrase. We'll we'll end it with this. Um, here, listen to some folks talking on another podcast, far inferior to ours, and they use the phrase um, "a soul tormented by the presence of Christ." And it, it, they, it's kind of like they can't name it, and they don't really know what's going on. But you know, yeah, it's just one of those people. They're just tormented by God's presence, and they can't acknowledge it and receive it. Yeah. All right, guys, That's carry a on. Weird thing. Yeah. It is weird. Okay. All right. Stay safe. Check out Bisc. See you, All man. Right, peace. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.